Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, my man, Bob Huggins. And I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. Now, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat, at Big Meach 41, and soon to be on TikTok. That's right. Now, this is the special edition of the podcast, my interview series with a very special guest. All right, Bearcat fans, I'm excited to welcome in this former Bearcat legend who played from 2014 to 2018. And he was not only a great player, but he's been a great ambassador for the Bearcat program. And this is a part two interview from the one I did with him in 2018. And we're going to cover, I mean, there's just so many things I need to cover with this guy. So I'm excited to get him back in. I'd like to welcome into the Bearcat Basketball Podcast, number 11. The problem, Gary Clark. What's up, G? What's up, Meech? How are you, man? You good? I'm living, man. Just trying to, trying to survive with all this uh, this craziness, man. So you're, you're back home? Yeah, I'm back home in NC right now. I've been back for probably like a little over a month now. Mm-hmm. Right when this stuff like flared up, you know, I had a shot back home so I could be with my fam because I didn't have anybody in Orlando. So it would have been, I would have been talking to walls if I would have stayed on there. <laughs> yeah, that ain't, that ain't good. How's your family doing? Everybody okay? Yeah, everyone's good, man. Uh, little bro's growing. He's loving his time. I'm like, that I'm back. So we mm-hmm. get to spend that quality time where, you know, he's always around my mom, my sisters. You know, I have two stepbrothers, but one lives in South Carolina and the other one, he works all the time. So he gets rare time to, you know, hang out. You know, all he does is play video games all day. So, oh man, since he's been home, we, uh, we had his we had his goal put up in the yard. So he's out there. We play horse just about every day. We we, we just signed him up for baseball. So he was about to play baseball before this whole thing started. So we throw baseball and hit hit some to him, and you know, just trying to spend that quality time I don't get to do since I've been away from college and now that I'm in the league. You know, it just takes so much of my time that this time is like great. Oh yeah, definitely valuable time. So, uh, you have you been working out a lot? Yeah, so I work out just about every day. Whether it's in my garage, grab a little makeshift like gym with some dumbbells, a bench, uh, ab roller, some yoga stuff, and a uh, bow flex that I use uh-huh. for my in-gym workout at my home. But then I, you know, I'll find a gym here and there that I can like, you know, get into get some shots up, get some cardio in, you know. Uh, so I'm staying ready. You know, I, I'm getting some high-quality, you know, work in as far as shooting, you know, mm-hmm. getting cardio in and lifting. I mean, you, you have to, I mean, at the level that you're at. I mean, you look around the league, and I'm looking on Instagram. A lot of these guys are, man, they're staying active because at any point you never know. You it, right. The NBA could say, hey, guys get back i know they were talking about getting back in the facilities and doing some things and I mean, you never know it could be empty gyms in las vegas or or shit orlando i mean you never 
you never know. You gotta be gotta be ready. So it's no no surprise that you're still grinding, man. Yeah, no. Nah, like you say, you got to, especially at this level. It's just you know any at any point, whether it's if they open up you know gyms and stuff, and you go get some work in, and you know you're working out with guys. You don't you never want to let a guy get the best of you because you haven't been working. So whether it's that situation or or when it's time to go back to your team, you know it's time to compete and you know another guy's been working working harder than you you could tell after all this time you really be able to tell who's been staying active mm-hmm. so i've been that's why i've been you know really trying to stay ready so that i can you know fit the fit the mold that you know the reputation i've always had is you know how, how hard i play and you know playing smart you can't do either if you're out of shape yep and in and, and the position that you're in is obviously different than a veteran like a Steph Curry or LeBron who, you know, obviously they want to stay at the highest level, but their their situation's a little different. You know, they're they're cemented in the league. You're still grinding. So you have to you have to have that mentality, man. Yeah. Just you know, I've I've made some kind of some prints in the league so far, but I haven't, you know, really locked myself in, secured my position here in this uh mm-hmm. at this level. You know, you see so many guys that, you know, have runs like I've had and just, you know, kind of let go of the rope and then, you know, settle to go overseas where, you know, guys make great money over there. But we all know, you know, the NBA is where every guy wants to be close to their families, you know, prime time basketball. So it's one of those things where you're just always chasing, you know, the next, the next, the next big accomplishment, the next role, you know, for me, it's just like, you know, I've had. It was cool to be in Houston. Cool to see all the the, the stars and see how winning feels on the with a bunch of veterans, but still not satisfied because I wanted to play. Mm-hmm. Now in Orlando, same situation, winning, bunch of young guys. You know, I slipped out of the rotation there right before this whole Corona stuff happened because of, I had a little knee issue, you know, a little bit of tendonitis. But you know, kind of finally got that back healthy. But now, you know coming forward, just cementing that position where, you know, like, you know what you're going to get from Gary every night. Gary's going to give you 25, 20 minutes and give you high energy and just be able to be, a, be able to be counted on every night and know that, like, my spot in the league and not just this team is pretty secure. And, and basically establishing what you did with the Bearcats, I mean, you think about the nickname you had, the problem. I mean, if you think about, like, really – why people called you the problem. I'll let you speak on this. Like, why do you feel people called you the problem? Uh, it's really because of the, like, on both ends of the floor, you have to worry about me. And mm-hmm. uh, I think, you know, a lot of teams started game planning. You know, their scouting was around, you know, Clark this, Clark that. And so a lot of coaches was like, you know, I think John Rothstein gave me the name. Just the havoc I was causing, like you know, with steals, deflections, <laughs> yep. block shots. You know, as a as, as a uh, freshman, I, w- I was like getting a lot of steals, mm-hmm. and then my sophomore year, I started getting a lot of blocks. So it was just like each year I'd add a new element on the defensive end. So by my junior and senior year, once I put it all together on the offensive end too, it was like you know the ultimate problem for teams was you know me on both ends of the floor. Mhm. And I got and with that being said, I got something funny to tell you. So, <clears throat> I know a couple of the couple of the guys that play on Wichita State's team right now and um very close to one of them. 
and he and I were talking prior to the Wichita State game this season when they played at Cincinnati. And um, the, the the player was asking me, he was like, man, what what is up with, with, with you guys, man? He goes, like, Trey Scott, he was like, we just don't have an answer for this dude right now. And and I'm like, you know, it's just just kind of how Bearcat basketball is. And, and, then the, and then the kid says, well, coach was telling us, like, He's like, you see how Gary Clark, he goes, we could not stop Gary Clark. Like, we have no answer. Like, he was basically telling me that the Wichita State coach was telling them before the game, we have no answer for this dude. We got to worry about people because other people because we ain't stopping this dude on either end of the court. I mean, that is, that's a high-level compliment to you. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah. It was, it was kind of because uh, Coach Sampson, you know, me and him got a good relationship throughout my time there. He was, you know, he, he was kind of similar in when he used to do his interviews and stuff like that as far as, you know, talking about the keys to winning. And it was, you know, keeping me off the glass and not letting me, you know, score off, off, offensive rebounds. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I, I was priding myself off that a lot when I was there. You see, especially my senior year. Is uh, yep. all the things that I was able to, the havoc I was able to cause on both ends. That you know, knowing the other team is probably game planning their best plan to keep me from you know being successful that night. And a couple of teams did, you know, but I, you know, I stopped. You know, as everyone knows, you see, I wasn't the person that thrived off scoring. So right. I think that's why I always was able to have some kind of impact on the game because I didn't care about how many points I scored. Even though Coach Cronin wanted me to score more points, uh, it was it wasn't that thing that like made a bro- like made me or broke me in the game. Like it was like okay, well if I'm not scoring, then I'll make sure I, you know, I get every rebound. Or on the defensive end, this guy like he's not going to score on me. Mm-hmm. So it was one of those things that you know it, it actually became like a true strength of mine to be able to do everything and be a stat stat stuffer because of me not caring about scoring. Yep. Yep, and you did that, man. So, and let's let's say that you had a obviously a tremendous career at the University of Cincinnati, but just to rewind the tape and ask this question, why did you pick UC? Uh, it was it was during my recruitment situation. It was like I I had like probably eight scholarships uh, coming out of my junior year, I think, after my junior year. Mm-hmm. And when I went and played with CP3 my last summer, I played with him my, my ninth grade summer, but I played again with them my last summer. And uh, I, like, took off. Like, I probably got, like, an additional 20 scholarship offers once I played with them in, like, the big tournaments and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm all about loyalty and just, you know, somebody being honest with me. And, you know, Coach Conner and them were, like, super honest with me nonstop about everything, like, you know, Coach Davis came. I think I just told this story multiple times. Coach Davis came to me, like, in the middle of my process and just told me, you know, I, you know, at this point I had, like, 20 scholarships. Like, you know, I'm feeling myself. Like, you know, I'm doing my thing in high school. Like, I done, I killed my junior year. Uh, and then he came and he was just like, you're not playing hard enough. We can't offer you a scholarship. And I was just kind of, like, told my high school coach, like, what? Like, at that point, I had no interest in going to Cincinnati. Like, I 
totally was a homebody. Like, I wanted to be close to my mom. I was a man of the house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it kind of, like, brushed me the wrong way. So I was like, all right, I mean, I ain't going there. You know, all right. I don't even know what this guy's talking about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, later on that summer, he came back and still was like, you're not playing hard enough. And I'm now I'm, like, kind of, like, ticked off a little bit. But I'm still, like, whatever. You just, like, signed me off to not come back and co- go to UC. Right. So, uh, in that same time, uh, when I'm about to make a commitment going into my senior year, uh, you ha- I had places like Clemson who I wanted to go. They were like, well, a guy just committed in your position, so you'll have to wait till next, like, to the spring for us to offer you another scholarship. And then it happened again. It happened, like, three times. It happened to Wake Forest. Clemson and NC State, and those all three schools I really wanted to go to because they were so close to home. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you know, Coach Davis had already come like twice to tell me I wasn't playing hard enough. So going to like that summer, maybe I, I don't know when it was, but I was playing really hard. Like I was doing extra stuff to get in tip-top shape because like this guy's like already told me I haven't played hard enough twice. Like I'm gonna prove this dude wrong. And sure enough, like I, you know, I, I was dominating to like a mm-hmm. whole nother level. And then uh, they see me come in, Coach Cronin see me during uh, a tournament when I had, I had to play the five because our, our big man had broke his nose. Mm-hmm. So I started at the four, but like when he broke his nose, I started at the five. And Coach Cronin, that was the first game Coach Panic here to watch. And I just dominated the this is, uh, other two big guys on the other team. And, you know, that's when they offered me because I, you know, I got into like, incredible shape and just that honesty coaching them gave me without even having me on on the team you know mm-hmm. they, they, most teams are going smoke the whole time trying to get you to just sign yeah for these guys just to be so honest with me from the beginning it was like all right well they care enough to tell me the truth without even having me sign on a piece of paper i know that once i get there you know everything i may not like they're going to make me do they're going to make me buy in and just little little things that's going to push me to get better. That's when I chose UC, and it was like the best decision I probably ever made as far as my basketball <laughs> career. Yeah, for sure. That's just – it's so crazy, Gary, how, you know, all this stuff works out. You're, you're my third interview that I've done on this podcast. I've talked to tons of different players, and it's always amazing how guys end up at UC. And your story is pretty is very different than anybody else's. Now, do you think do you think Coach Davis was right at that at that point that you weren't playing hard? Yeah, hundred mm. percent. Even my high school coaches tell tell you tell the same story. Like I was dominating without a doubt, like thirty point games, forty point games. But you know, it was kind of like it was just so easy to me that you know I could have really been crushing you know, all kinds of records if I would have been playing the same. Uh, as hard as I was playing my to the end of my junior year, if I would have been playing that way my freshman and sophomore year, then I probably would have been the number one player in, in the state of North Carolina. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, that's, 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 that's fascinating that that was Coach Davis's approach because a lot of you know, coaches that are recruiting players, they don't they don't go that route. Like you said, they blow a lot of smoke at you, and they're not really honest with you. They tell, they tell you about all the great things you do. So, yeah, yeah that worked out. Now, so let me ask you this. Um, 
you you had a tremendous career at UC, and and honestly, if you if there was a Bearcat game going on right now, Gary, and you walked in the arena, the place would go absolutely crazy. They, they would go nuts. But in your opinion, how do you look back at your career at UC? Uh, man, it was it was like a real roller coaster because, you know, how they got me there, you know, you hear all the stories, you see all the videos of, like, Coach Cronin and how intense he was. You know, my first mm-hmm. summer of workouts and stuff, he was intense, but he wasn't as bad. And, you know, we've had – we were going to the Bahamas, so we had, like, 15 or something days to, like, really practice or 10 days, like, to have real practice. And, you know, Coach was super intense. Like, and it, like, again, it rubbed me the wrong way. I told my mom, like, there's no way I'm staying here. Mm. So I dealt with like I dealt with those emotions of like really not wanting to be there because I didn't understand why this dude was going crazy every day. <laughs> right, right. And like I'm like, you, there's no pleasing this guy. Like, what? Like, how do people stay here four years? There's no way I can stay here four years. <laughs> so in my mind, every summer I'm like grinding to try to like, even though it was a long stretch, like I gotta try to get to the league as fast as possible. Uh-huh. Because I like I'm gonna have gray gray hair and I'm gonna go crazy. I'm gonna go ball like him. There's no <laughs> way. And so I dealt with those emotions of like really like having anxiety because of like not knowing what to expect every day going into practice, going into game and games like half times. It's just like he puts you on edge to like some guys handled it well, other guys folded. But the guys that have great careers there are the ones that handled it all four years. Even if like, in the beginning of my career, I, I didn't know how to handle it, but I figured it out. I lean on Savino a lot. Mm. You know, I lean on Coach Davis and Coach Jackson, like those guys that like are, are dealing with him just not in the setting of basketball. That's dealing with him like in the office and at lunch. And, you know, just trying to figure out coach because like I'm very observant and I'm like, I learn, I love learning like humans, you know, like the people mm-hmm. I deal with all the time, like how they tig and like what makes them go and what makes them like uh it triggers them so you know just trying to like figure coach out as much as I could and I once I did my sophomore year kind of just it took off in a way where I didn't really necessarily look over to coach anymore like I didn't look over and see his face red his fire and just all balled up angry <laughs> because I messed up I just learned to just look away from him and just play yeah and that's when you know I got defensive player a year Player of the mm-hmm. year that year, and then my junior year, after my sophomore year, I got hurt with my ankle injury, and I dealt with all of that. And my junior year was kind of like a plateau; like it just was, you know, it didn't, it wasn't better than my previous years, but it wasn't bad because I was playing on one leg. So mm-hmm. after that, I, uh, I was so frustrated with everything as far as like how, you know, you know, many people don't know, but like after I hurt my ankle my sophomore year. Like, I did it in practice. The end of practice, I rolled it on Jacob's foot, and it swelled up immediately. And I remember Coach Cronin's dad coming over to talk to me, and he seen it, and he just told me, you know, try to walk normal so your teammates don't have, the like, the nervousness of that. They're not having you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm looking at Pops like, man, this thing is, like, off the charts right now, and I'm in so much pain. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm like limping over to the guy, smiling and like trying to like give energy. And also, UConn is coming in the coming in the gym after us to practice. So I also got to fool them too. Oh wow! Like nothing's wrong with my foot. Yeah. And then I get to uh, to the hotel that night, and me and uh, the trainer, you know, we had a conversation, and I'm like, dude, there's no way I can play with this ankle like this. Like in my mind, I wasn't playing in that first game against UConn, mm-hmm. and. You know, coach. I talked to coach, and I was just told him like, if I can get, we can get it. If I can get it down, swelling down, I'll be more willing to like push through. Because we at the time we were on a bubble, we didn't know if we were in or out, mm-hmm. and uh, we had the streak going. I think we had like been to the NCAA tournament like four or five times. Like we were on a like roll, and me and our trainer stayed up. We had our last final meeting probably like ten ten thirty. I treated during the meeting, and then. I went into my room. We treated from 12 to 1, and I went to sleep from 1 to 2, got up, went back down for treatment at 2 a.m., iced, massaged, did some more treatment, went back to my room and slept from 2 to 3, well, like 2.30 to 3, and then back up and treated from 3.30 to 4. And it was like I was like up all night mm. trying to get the swelling down just so I can play the next day. Yep. And about like 7.30, the last treatment session, I finally could, like, get a little skip. I'm talking, like, excruciating pain skip, but, like, I could skip. Mm-hmm. And I told Rob, I was like, I'm going to play today. Mm-hmm. And he was like, all right, well, let's not pull the trigger because you know how Coach Cronin is. I was like, all right, cool. So I talked to Coach. and told him, like, Coach, I'm going to be good. He was like, yeah, I don't want you to push it now. I'm like, if you can't go, let me know now so I can start planning for it. I'm like, Coach, I think I can go. He's like, all right. And then they, like, again, I was walking around the hotel with a boot on, but, like, when I got on the bus, you know, the media is crazy during March Madness. So when I got off the bus, I had to walk with no boot on. I had to walk normal because all the cameras and stuff was trying to, like, you know, get all the players coming in and stuff like that. So I'm walking in the game like nothing's wrong. I get I get in, me and Rob do our little routine. He massages my foot, tapes it, put an ankle brace on it, tape it again, I take some pills, I go out, coach comes out, he never comes out before during warm-ups early. He mm-hmm. comes out and watches me, like, move around. And, and also, my teammates are on the edge, too, like, is he going to be able to go? Like, they're all watching me, so I, like, I'm, like, feeling awkward, like, everybody's trying to watch me during this warm-up. Mm-hmm. And, of course, like, you know, I played, that was the four-overtime game, and it was just, you know, it was one of those incredible games that, like, you'd want to win just because my teammates knew how much pain I was going through and it sucks that we lost, but, you know, after that game, I, was, I had to leave on crutches. There's no way of hiding me anymore. Like, I was in pain. Yeah. Uh, played in the tournament, March Madness, and then I tried to rehab all summer, and it just never got better. So, my junior year, I was hurt still because my ankle was just all jacked up. And then that's when I had surgery after my junior year. And then even my senior year, like, the, re- the rehab process didn't go, like, as smooth as it should have went. So, again, my junior, my senior year, I played on the bum ankle again. And then uh, when I got to Houston, that's when they knew the situation of, like, how, you know, how my ankle wasn't necessarily where it should be, even though I had all the accolades I had mm-hmm. my senior year. They, like, shut me down for two months. Wow. And uh, I didn't play – I didn't dribble basketball for two whole months. I didn't go to summer league. Like, I just – they had me just rehabbing. And then finally, like, when training camp happened, you know, that's when I was uh, able to finally play and be 100% healthy. I had been that healthy since, you know, the end of my sophomore year. I finally had two two feet, two ankles. So my emotions <laughs> in my senior my, my, my college career was just like 
that ankle situation kind of like screwed my whole experience up because I had anxiety. Then I started like hitting, hitting in like a peak where I started like going up and like excelling as you see. And for me personally, everybody else talk about how great my career was. I just think about how much better it could have been if I didn't have those ankle situations my junior and senior year. Mm-hmm. So like you know, it's you know I really wish I could have like I wanted to be healthy, of course. So everybody talks about how good it it, it was. I'm like, man, I'm still kind of frustrated because I feel like it could have been way better than what it was. Yeah, that that's fascinating because well, so many levels to to, to what you just talked about. I, I would say that a large percentage of Bearcat fans do not realize what you had to go through. Like even that U UConn game, like the process from the time you heard it to game time, like all the time you spent trying to prepare and play in that game and the sacrifices that you had to make. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't know that about, you know, some of that stuff that you just talked about, I didn't even know. And I was around a lot. Um, the, the sacrifice you have to make, man, that's, that's, that's well, first of all, that's, that's good stuff to know and to, to hear about. And, and just to imagine maybe even what your career could have been if you were more healthy. Right. You think about yeah. that a lot? Yeah, because that kind of had, you know, a, my age had a lot to do with why I didn't get drafted. But also there's a huge question mark around my ankle going, going into the draft process. Like mm-hmm. every draft workout I did, like I had to do a huge – you already do examinations already because they want to mm-hmm. see how healthy you are. But, like, nobody really knew the depth of my, like, ankle. Like what yeah. was it? Like how how did he do it? When did he do it? Because, no, again, like you, nobody knew exactly what happened. People thought it was just a rolled ankle. Like, yeah. you know, it was deep. It was way deeper than a rolled ankle. So, you know, that had a huge part in why I didn't get, you know, drafted or, you know, in that situation because nobody really knew about my ankle and how healthy could I be. Like, the kid had all these accolades, but there's a huge question mark around his ankle. Yeah. Did, now, how many, did you miss many games in your career? I just can't remember you missing games. I didn't miss one game my whole career. I, you see. I was just thinking through it. I'm like, I don't ever remember. Like, and to be honest with you, from from your freshman year, and I don't have I don't have any stats in front of me. I don't even have the internet right now. But from your freshman year to your senior year, I would venture to say you either. I mean, you started in the majority of those games. Am I right or wrong? Yeah, uh, I have. I think I have the record for most played games mm-hmm. and most start like starting games. You, so I, think have, I, I didn't. I didn't start one game for Tobler on his senior night because they Tobe started. <laughs> Damn Tobler! <laughs> no, that that that's crazy. And, I, and as I think back, like as you're telling this, I'm like, I don't remember Gary like missing games, and I always remember you starting the games off. Like I always remember that. So, man, now, well, let me ask you this. So you told, you know, you talked a lot about that. Are there any other, like, disappointments during your career at UC? Uh, that's a good one. Um, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, everybody always talked about us not getting out of the, the first, you know, the first city or whatever during the you know March Madness, mm-hmm. but I think the you know each one of those losses they they suck, but nothing sucked more than that last game against uh, Nevada 
you know, even my that sophomore year when we lost on that game winning shot against uh St. Joe's up mm-hmm. in uh Washington. Yep. Like, you know, I couldn't give much because that's when my ankle was bummed. I think I had two points that whole game. Like, I was nothing. Coach had to go with, like, I tell you, it was Coriante, like, majority of the game because my ankle just – I couldn't – I didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. And that game sucked to see that game winning shot because I knew I would have been in the game to finish the game, but I wasn't because I was hurt. Um, That one – that one probably falls second. Mm-hmm. But that Nevada game, losing to them because – one, I know the twins, Caleb and Cody Martin, like really well. Mm. So you know, like we had a, we were rolling, like coming out yeah. of conference play. Like I was having, like a, the time of my life because I was playing so well, like dominating, and just to go in that game and like we we're doing exactly what we needed to do. We were executing on all levels. Like everybody was playing well. You know, you know, I'm not gonna lie. I had the Sweet Sixteen like in my head already, like. <laughs> at that point, like in the yep. at halftime, like in my heart, I just knew, like, wow, like I, you know, the cap we, off my senior season, like I'm mm-hmm. going beyond what everyone, you know, says we harp on. So, like, but I know I have a mental blockage to know not to say this to any of the other guys. I knew that, like, in my heart, I knew I'm gonna be able to lock in and dominate still with this thought in my head. So. Mm-hmm. I was doing what I had to do. They came out, and, you know, we played. We were still playing well at the beginning of the second half. And it just at some point when they went to this, like, deny Jacob the ball. And at the time, Jacob wasn't even, like, Jacob wasn't even, like, killing. It was Jan that was killing. But for some reason, Jake was playing point guard, and they was just trapping him. And he, like, screw us, screwed us all up. And I, and I, to this day, I don't know what we could have done differently. Like, you can watch the film over and over again. But whatever that coach decided to do at the time, to, to, to trap Jake, it just it threw us all out of whack because he was playing point at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it was just one of those things. But that game right there, losing to the Twins and just knowing how close I was to advance to the Sweet 16, knowing how well we were all playing, how well I was playing, you know, coach was – even practice wasn't even practice. Again, practice isn't even practice at that point of the year, but still, like, he just had a confidence about his our group that – you know, between me, Kyle, and Jacob, that we were going to get our guys ready to play and, mm-hmm. you know, go out and handle our business. So just to lose, like, I was just felt so defeated after that game that, I like, I still, like, that game bothers me. That's the biggest disappointment I have at my time in UC. Like, even over the – losing Xavier, like, Coach Xavier, <laughs> like, even his, his prep about that week is like, this game doesn't mean much, but it means a lot to them. It means nothing to us, a lot to them. So – the fans of UC and Cincy or Xavier, they all get all riled up about that game, but like it never mattered. I mean, it was cool to win it, but at the end of the day, like we're still Cincinnati, they're still Xavier. Like mm-hmm. nobody <laughs> even knows where Xavier is. You know what I'm saying? Like nothing to them. I'm, right. I'm cool. With, I'm actually cool with like some of the guys now that was there, like James Farr, you mm-hmm. know, Trayvon Blewett. You know, yep. some of those guys I've you know I've come to gain relationships with outside of you know, that rivalry, but screw those games. That last game <laughs> against Nevada, that, that one kind of, that one, that one hurt. That was so, t- and I, I totally agree with you. And I think there were, there were a couple things in play that you said. First of all, um, you, you guys were on a roll, like you said, going, going into that game. I mean, just even going back to the end of the season. And I, I, I wish I, I'm, I'm in a place where I don't have the internet, but I just remember 
guys beat uh, UConn, Wichita State, Memphis, Houston in the tournament, just playing really, really well. And and to think the way the brackets kind of played out in the tournament, you know, up big at half versus Nevada. And I'm thinking like you're thinking. I'm like, man, let me look online and book some tickets here, man. Let me let me get to this next spot because I think Nevada went on and played Loyola, I think, the next game. Yeah. And I'm sorry, we beat Loyola. Like, I don't care what anybody says. We beat Nevada. 100%. We beat Loyola. Right? 100%. And Loyola made a run that year. They made that, they made that Cinderella run, but – I, I totally believe we beat them. So sorry to bring up old, <laughs> old right, game, man. but I, but I had to ask that question. I figured that that was going to be um, your answer. But let, let, let's Gary, let's talk about on a, on a positive side as you look back on your career. What do you look at? We talked about a disappointment. What do you look at as one of the biggest highlights of your career as a Bearcat? Oh man. Uh, it probably had to be uh, either after I did I got injured and you know I couldn't help my team win my sophomore year to win defensive player of the year, and you know if you guys coach today like I couldn't guard anyone, you know as far as <laughs> you know that, and we played zone because me and Troy couldn't defend. You tell mm-hmm. you'll tell that story to anybody. So to win and at that point I was trying to I was kind of getting out of that anxiety mode. I was, like, stressed out about why coach was so mad. Again, I told you I stopped looking at the bench. So mm-hmm. that whole year I was kind of, like, having, you know, a great year in the sense that I wasn't stressed out and trying to, like, have so much anxiety trying to, like, please coach. I was just playing and performing. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the season to learn that I – dealing with an ankle, bum ankle, and we lost the way we lost and I couldn't help my team to win player – like, win defensive player of the year. That was like a huge accomplishment for me. Like my senior year, I did it too, but it was, you know, I, I knew at that point what I was doing. I knew how to, you know, finesse the game to where I could, you know, get steals, blocks, you know, and become defensive player of the year. But I think my sophomore year was unexpected, so it was like I prided myself on that. Like I sure. made sure Savina, Savino knew all the time that hey, you know, I can defend. I didn't hear no more Gary can't guard jokes for the whole for the rest of my career. <laughs> right. But that's that that's that growth, man. And I think every every player that enters college comes in with we- different weaknesses and areas of development. And the one that say they recognize it and they know they need to improve and then they start doing the things to improve those are the ones that end up with the great careers. <clears throat> and I mean you did that you did that all across the board and you kind of fall in line with so many Bearcat players, you know, before you. Like, I really feel like you set a blueprint for Trey Scott. Trey Scott had an unbelievable senior year. But I think oh, yeah. I think that traces back to the blueprint you laid for him, in my opinion. And then before you, there were blueprints. You know, the, the Eric Hicks, um, uh, you know, the Kenyon Martins. There were guys that came into uh, to Clifton with certain areas they need to get better. And they left so good, man. And that, that's, I mean, that's as a player, that's got to be a great feeling. Yeah, 100%. Just, you know, uh, just one of those things where, you know, he struggled. You know, they redshirted him, and then 
after that, you know, he didn't play much. So he had like a, you know, different adversity that I had to deal with, but, but still adversity, you know, and then also, you know, coach Cronin isn't easy to deal with on top of, you know, the, the adversity <laughs> you're already facing. So you can find yourself in like a really black hole. If you don't know how to like, you don't have a good support group as far as your family and yeah. you know, your, your friends and teammates. Like if you don't have that support group, you will get lost in a hole that, you know, Mm-hmm. That there's no return, and your career is just a uh, blink of an eye, and the season's already over. Yep. So I think just the, the, the stuff that Savino instilled in, you know, us big guys were really the foreman just, you know, and coach too. Like, I don't know what it is, but it just he just expects us to do it all. You know, mm-hmm. and we're always undersized to be the five, but, you know, he just expects us to be able to do everything. And, and it, it, it was like a plus for us, me and Trey, to be the same size, both athletic, him way more athletic than me. But, you know, the way coach wanted us to play, it was just kind of instilled in us when we were, like, you know, when we first got to UC, even though it didn't blossom until later on in our careers, you kind of see the the, the the print that Coach Cronin has. It wouldn't surprise me if the next four-man out at UCLA next year doesn't have a great year because of him having Savino and Coach Cronin. Mm-hmm. And so this this is a great segue, Gary, into – I want to talk a little bit about the current uh, Bearcat basketball team and program. Now, now I know, obviously, you know, you were busy in the, in the NBA and doing your thing, but did you have a chance to, you know, watch much of this year's Bearcat basketball team? Yeah, I did, actually. Because, uh, again, I'm still cool. I like – I talk to Trey just about every week, whether mm-hmm. it's via Snapchat or text or on the Xbox, Jaren the same way. So, you know, I watched them a lot, you know, especially when they play, like, the big games against, like, Houston, uh, UConn, teams like that, that, you know, mm-hmm. when I played, I was excited to play. So, yeah, I kept up with them a lot. Did, did you find yourself in a uh, mentorship role where, obviously, going from Mick Cronin to John Brandon, two totally different styles, uh, totally different environments, Obviously, Jaron going through kind of some struggles up and up and down, and Trey adjusting, which he adjusted very well. But did you find yourself in a mentorship role, kind of giving those guys advice and how to deal with certain things? Yeah, uh, especially you know my first year out when you know Coach Cronin was still there, you know talking to you know uh, Trey and uh, Jaron. So it's kind of funny because I talked to Jaron more this past season and I talked to Trey more when Coach Cronin was there. So it kind of <laughs> yeah. like rose switched as, as when it was, when it was you know, kind of hard to deal with Coach Cronin, Trey struggled. Mm-hmm. But then when Coach Brennan came, Jaron struggled. So it came, it brought me a different dynamic because I didn't really, I didn't know Coach, uh, Coach John. Yeah, you know, I didn't. I didn't know his style. I didn't know. I could only go off based off what the guys talked about. And Trey loved him, and Jaren was, you know, struggling with him. Mm-hmm. So it was one of those things that, like, okay, obviously there's a difference as far as you know what Jaren needed versus what Trey needs. You know, mm-hmm. Trey needs more laid back, more more leash. Jaren needs more strict, more intense. You know, expectations from Coach Cronin. So it was just. It, it was funny to, like, you know, get calls from both of them, text from them, Snapchats, and just 
you know, them trying to lean on me and, you know, figure out ways to, like, you know, get better and, you know, be ready just to perform. Mm-hmm. Yep. Isn't it, isn't it just so – isn't it funny how you go from being a player to, to now you're like an OG and you're in an advisory role in regards to, like, college, but yet at the same time you're, you're, you're young in the NBA and you're leaning on somebody to learn from. So you're you're like you're like wearing a couple different hats. Yeah, it is. It's very different. As far as especially I'm telling those guys like how much I'm struggling in my position. I'm like <laughs> appreciate like whatever you're going through, appreciate where you are because it only gets harder. Yeah. It's a lot more out of your control. Where here in college you had like two more years, three more years or a year left to, you know, change your situation here. It's like you got right now or your next opportunity, and then it might be over for you this the next year. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, for me, I was just like trying to – like especially when I came back during the summer, just telling Trey and Trevor, like, look, man, I'm telling you, you know, it's cool now. We get Coach Cronies always tell us you get your checks, you get your stipend checks, you got a nice little apartment, you know, all the girls want you, you know, you got a lot of love <laughs> around the city. Like, but this thing stops <laughs> after four mm-hmm. years. Or five, you get red shirt, but like it, it stops. And then from here mm-hmm. on, it gets hard. Like it's not Coach Cronin chasing you around to go to class or nobody telling you to save your money. Like it really gets hard. And that's yep. why when I was home, when I would go back, I would tell Trey and, and Trevor, like, look, man, once you leave out this off this campus, it begins like everything is against you immediately. It's not all. Oh, let, let me let me try to figure out. Like immediately all the odds against you. Everything you love, it's no longer given mm-hmm. to you. Everything you want, it's not easy to have access to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I, and I, and I saw so many of my fellow teammates hit that wall of reality after basketball. And it sucks because you can't, you can't help every last one of them, whether it's financially or just, you know, them being there, want you to talk to them more. Like I'm so busy all the time. I have two phones, like, I have like such a role to play with my family and my loved ones in my career and keep my sanity to not like necessarily, I can't be there for all the guys that who are leaning on me to want to help them figure mm-hmm. out, you know, what's next. And then I immediately think like, you know, how my life would have been differently if I would have not been so prepared or, you know, so locked into the, the, the stuff coach Cronin was giving me, you know? So it's just one of those situations where it's just like, it was so hard to balance it all, but you know, the one thing I knew that set most to tell those guys was like, look, reality's coming fast when you mm-hmm. get that diploma. And if you're not ready or have a plan other than I hoop, then you're you're gonna be screwed when, you know, about August, July, August rolled around after you graduated, you know, that's when guys are in panic mode to figure something out. And if they haven't figured it out, it's usually uh, a very, very sad story or yep. struggle that guys are going through. Uh, man, if I could clip what you just said, that little message that you just said, and send it to every collegiate player in America, man, that is exactly what a lot of folks need to hear. Um, some guys are prepared. Some guys really aren't. And that, that message that you just relayed is so very important and and that leads me to ask you this question you know with where the program is now 
um, under the leadership of Coach Brandon. Uh, Coach Cronin is, is not here anymore. Are you still willing to come back, um, obviously, with these new crop of players coming in and, and offer up your mentorship and the things like you just said? Are you still willing to do that? Oh, yeah, of course. You know, it, for me, it's all about, you know, just giving the next person knowledge. You know, I don't know everything. I'm not establishing my level, but what I do know is, again, that reality that happens after college, and it's, you know, I, it's nothing I want to see. Like, it, it sucks to see some of my former teammates going through that transition and still trying to figure it out, you mm-hmm. know. So that's one of the – like, if I can go back and do anything, I'll be, I'll be more willing to do that than go host a camp. I'd rather go sit down with collegiate football and basketball players and baseball and just let them know, like, you know, you know what, like, we all didn't come from – most of us didn't come from families that have it already lined up for us to go get a job if basketball right. or football don't work. But what we do have is our our platform to, you know, networking at those brunches and lunches and dinners that we have with the boosters and mm-hmm. so forth. You know, don't go back calling your coach to get a job. Have those people's information where you can go do it yourself. And Man. it's just, you know, that, that's one of the things that, like, I, even though I don't need those relationships right now, you know, eventually I want to have my own branch and brand where, you know, I am going back to network with those same relationships I started you know, when I was young and I'd rather mm-hmm. go back and do that and have a camp to, to, you know, teach little kids. I got like, yeah, the little kids got a lot of time. They need the, the, the relationships with the veterans and guys that have gone, but the ones that are on their way out need, need that more than the young ones do. Man, I love it. You're, you're knocking all of it out the park right now. Uh, and that, that, that makes me think of an interview I just watched with uh, Kobe Bryant not long ago. And we're talking about, um, Kobe's mindset, you know, prior to his death, um, from a business standpoint, and the question they asked Kobe wasn't necessarily like his mindset when he played basketball, and he said something that I thought was great, and it ties right into what you're talking about. And Kobe says, "I want to make the next 20 years better than the 20 years prior." And what he was saying was, you know, my my, I've been playing basketball 20 years. I'm a Hall of Famer. Like, I've had a tremendous basketball career. But my goal now is these next 20 years to be greater than a Hall of Fame basketball career. Unfortunately, obviously, we know, um, you know, with his death and all that, we'll, we'll never see that. But but obviously, he was on course. But and that plays right into what you're what you're talking about, not, not being so concerned with the first 20, but also the second 20. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, so, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'll just talk. Yeah, it's just I don't know, man. It's it, it, I've I struggle with like seeing that that part, the end part of it. You know, just you know, really the guys that are you know about to make that transition. Mm-hmm. And, and for my my legacy, it's just you know. Whatever it is, I, I just know I want to be able to give people knowledge, you know, from mm-hmm. what I've experienced. Guys that are going into, like, my, you know, the down the path that I've gone down, you know, some of the turns that I've turned, like, that I've gone, that I shouldn't have went left, I shouldn't have went right, or I should have just gave it some time and been patient. Right. You know, just giving people knowledge, you know, just, you know, the end 
it's like I'm I'm excited for the end. Like I'm preparing for the end, whenever that may be. I just know at the end I want to be able to say like you know I I'm happy. You know I've given everyone and everything all of me, and mm-hmm. now I can just sit back and just you know chill and focus on you know myself and you know things that I wasn't able to do because of my career has such demand for sure. of my time. For sure, and we're we're gonna talk about that a little bit later. We'll talk about the last dance, and and I don't know if you saw the last uh, two episodes of the last dance where Jordan's talking about that a little bit. Um, I think after the third championship, man, just how exhausted he was, and he was ready to ready to like do some other things in his life. So we're gonna talk about that in a little bit later. Ha- have you had a chance to talk to Coach Brandon yet? Have a conversation with him? I have not. I have okay. not. I was. I went back for like a day or two, and I went by the arena and stuff like that. And at the time, everybody had went home, mm-hmm. so none of the, even even the players wasn't there. I think Trey may have been there, mm-hmm. and Trevor. That's when I talked to Trey and Trevor. They were the only two there, and uh, okay. I went over and just saw the new arena. I saw Mike Rayfield, and that was pretty much it. And I didn't even go see anybody really besides like Lindsey Jaffe. Financial. What did you think about the uh, the arena? It was dope. Super mm-hmm. nice. I mean, it was beautiful. <laughs> I wish I could have played in it, for sure. <laughs> You're a legend at the Bank of Kentucky Center, or whatever the place is called, the Bank of Kentucky over NKU. That was so oh, yeah. odd. That year was, I mean, listen, NKU was so gracious in, in letting the Bearcats come over there and use the facility and all that during that transition period, but that was so awkward being that that's your home arena and like the floor you're playing on says NKU. Yeah, that was, that was pretty weird, but you know, it brought like a, you know, really different environment, mm-hmm. but we you know we made it work. We only lost one sure home did. game that year. So regardless of how yep. the fans showed up or not, you know, we went out and performed again, a test to how we got our guys prepared, how we ran our unit. You know, I think we lost the uh, Wichita State at home, you know, towards the end of the game. Like, we, we even had that chance to win that game, but it just fell apart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I do. I do remember. That was a that was a close one, too. That was like a four-point game or something like that. And Wichita was – they were on a roll that year, too. They ranked top 20 at that point. But you still um you still talk to Coach Cronin? You still have a relationship with him? Yeah, our relationship is pretty, pretty dope. Actually, I talk to him often, but I talk to Savino more. What's crazy is right when we were on the phone, Savino was calling in, and I didn't. You know, I got to call him back. But I'm really close with all those guys. I went out to LA twice this summer, mm-hmm. and I, uh, I was able to spend time with both of them guys. Yep. How was that? It was good. You know, while I watched coach, one of coaches' practices. It was totally different. You know, he wasn't intense. He wasn't, you know, yelling. But but it was the summertime, and then, you know, like, you know, learn again, learn <laughs> coach Cronin. He didn't want, you know, want to scare him, yeah, because they would all transfer. Yeah. <laughs> right, like he's I gotta buy and get him to buy in first and trust me before I start going, you know, crazy. But you know, I think you know, just the environment, you know, L.A. with nice weather, you know, hopefully mm. that all has calmed him down just a little bit. <laughs> There's no way it can. There's no way it can. There's no way. (laughs) Just a little bit. Just a little bit. A little bit. A little bit, maybe. (laughs) I think I saw this year, like, he 
during the game, he like broke a clipboard and threw it across the court or something like that. I was like, good old Mick. <laughs> yeah, I only I only watch his games just to, just to watch him. Like I only that's all I did this year. Like of course I watched the big games where he had but, like most of the game I'm watching like trying to catch the timeout like huddle. Like I'm trying to see like who he drags, how many times he gets into TJ. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> He, he was always yelling at Savino and uh, <laughs> the assistants, and that was comical. Um, hey, I had a couple folks on Twitter when I tweeted out that you uh, were coming on to do a part two interview. Um, I had about 30-some messages of people that had questions for you. So I picked, picked three of them that I thought were uh, pretty good. So uh, I'm going to ask you these here, and I'm going to try my best to um, – read these Twitter names here. The first one's easy, but Jonathan McBride at J Mac B says, his question is, if you could play any Bearcat past or present one-on-one, who would it be? Oh, Oh, that's tough right there. Maybe uh, probably, honestly, the big O, because I, I never really got to see him play. You know, I've seen the highlights of Ken and how much he's a monster mm-hmm. as far as blocking shots. You know, my next option would probably be uh, DJ, because, you know, I didn't I never got to see him play either, but just to see his – Who is that? His, uh, DJ. DJ. Yeah, uh, play with Ken. He was just on. He was on the oh, staff before. Or, oh, uh, Dermar. Okay, Dermar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay, Dermar Johnson. Yep. Johnson. Yep. Yeah. Um, big O because I just I never got to see him play. You see clips and you see like the records that were so hard to beat in the NBA. You know, just to see him like I, mm-hmm. I, I want to see what he's like playing you playing one on one. And DJ was my next guy because. You know, they try to – people, you know, some people say he was the KD before KD. Yeah. You know Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. He still has a little bit. When we play, it's times he was at the in the practice and stuff, just seeing him play one-on-one against some of the guys to only see what he was like in his prime before, you know, his injuries and stuff like that. Sure. Like, you know, he was – and I remember when he was coming out of high school, man, he was actually supposed to go pro, I believe, like his junior year of high school. They were um, trying yeah. to – yeah, trying to do something where he, you know, uh, surpassed his uh, senior year. But, yeah, DJ was that – he was that slim, tall guard, could do so much. Yeah, he was he was definitely tough. Um, but, you know, the, the fascinating thing about guys like, like Oscar Robertson, um, I, I didn't see him play live. I never did. I see some uh, stuff on YouTube. And, and obviously – evolution has happened and, and, and guys are far more athletic than they were when, when Oscar played, but it's always fascinating to think like, like how would Oscar be in today's game? Like who would he, you know, who would he be like? Did you ever hear his answer? They asked Oscar, what player would he be like in today's game? Did you, did you ever hear his answer? No, I don't think so. Oh man. This, this is the guy, you know, uh, you want to take a guess? Mm. I don't think you're gonna guess this one. And it's not oh, LeBron, man. so it's not LeBron. It's a guy you know. 
like was it Russ? Nope. That's a good. That's a good. Uh, that's a good answer. But it's 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 not. You 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 played you played with him in the league. Who, you James? Mean, yes. He said he would be James Harden. <laughs> I thought that was. I was like, okay. Because I don't remember. I I see Oscar shoot, but yeah, I mean, just the. I mean, is he talking about just in how unguardable James is. I mean, Oscar, what Oscar was doing, the numbers you hear about, you know, obviously he was unguardable. Couldn't nobody guard him. Couldn't nobody stop him yep. from getting triple-double, from the average triple-double. And James, like, if he wanted a triple-double every night, he could do that. But, yep. you know, for James, like, James about winning, and he was like, he can't guard me. So he was scoring 50, 60 points games. Like, it was nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man. Um, all right. My next uh, Twitter question, it's from Nick Jeffries, at Nick Jeffries. And his question is, uh, what is your best CP3 story? Oh. Man. <laughs> oh. I'm trying to think. I can't. It had to be, you know, during our time there. Like we, uh, we both were in Houston, and um, he, I was playing a lot, and you know, CP's always been super, you know, super cool with me, mm-hmm. like always like talking to me. And one other time during the game, I forgot what I did. I did something, and he like lost it on me, you know. And it was just the first time, like it's almost like a like your big bro or your, your pops mm-hmm. like losing losing it on you for the first time, and y'all been just kicking it for like a week, and you're like <laughs> been just having a good time in your life, and he finally lost it. I forgot. I don't know. I don't know if I didn't cut or or I did something, and he lost. It was probably on the defensive end. I didn't help or do something, but that was probably my best. That's for me. That's one of my best CP moments. Gotcha. I. I I also think, man, when uh, you went to the uh, Jay Z concert with him, right? Oh man! Oh, I said, oh man! I thought it was talking about basketball. Basketball, yeah. But when he took me to the Jay Z concert, that was probably the craziest one. But the even crazier story, now that you brought that up, we were out in L. A. and we always used to go to L. A. early because all the guys had houses out there. Mm-hmm. And one night we uh we were about to go to dinner. We we started going to dinner in every city he had, and we were about to go to dinner because he know I would go to catch every time I go to LA. Even if I go by myself, I'm going to catch. And you're going to what? To catch LA. Mm-hmm. It's like a okay. it's like a really fancy restaurant out there. Okay, um, gotcha, gotcha. And we're on the way there, and he's on the phone. He's like, "Man, that was Jay." I'm like, "Okay." He was like, "He wanted to know if we wanted to uh, go go eat at his uh, eat at the house, have dinner at the house with him." And his family mm-hmm. and stuff. And in my mind, I'm like, Jay, like, I was like, Jay who? He was like, Jay-Z. <laughs> I was like, where are we going to eat? He was like, it is out. I was like, nah, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I'm not ready to be Beehive and, like, the whole crew. <laughs> that was too much for me. That was one of those moments. That was going to be too much for me. I was like, nah, I'd rather just go eat at Catch, you know. And I, I'm cool with that. I'm content with my Catch dinner with CP. I ain't necessarily ready because I, I didn't even know if this was going to be Jay-Z and him 
but I didn't want to, you know, find out. I wasn't ready for that moment yet. So you turned it down, Gary? Yeah. Oh, dog, you are tripping, man. You yeah, did not. Do you regret that now? Uh, no. Nah, I see this day. No, nah, I ain't ready for that yet. I ain't I ready for that yet. I respect that. But me being a big J fan, I got so many questions for that dude, man. Just like, <laughs> you know, just to pick his brain. Yeah. That was probably one of the cooler moments, too, was when I met him. We actually was backstage, and it was me, CP, his mom, CP mom, dad, his brother, and uh, CP's wife, Jada, and they all left, I guess, to go see B. Um, and I, me and Jay-Z just sat there with each other, and he just, like, was, like, so in tune with, like, who I was, what I did, where I went to school, about my ankle injury, like, he was just like he wanted to know all this stuff. Like he's giving me his input. Like it wasn't just a conversation, just a past time. It was like he was actually like cared about who I was and to know who I was and where I was from and what I like, what I want to do, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And it just kind of was like I was mind blown. Just like, yo, does he want to know? I went to Cincinnati. Like I had an ankle injury. Wouldn't rule. Like it was, it was one of those wild moments. Yeah, that's that's crazy, man. Man, passed up dinner at Jay's house. <laughs> all right, I'm a. I respect you on that. Um, all right, my last Twitter question here is. Uh, hopefully, I don't mess this all up. At I Fleavy, or I'm I'm sorry. At underscore I Fleavy underscore. His question. I thought this one was kind of a unique one. His question is, do you want your brother? to play bear, basketball for the Bearcats one day? Ooh. I don't know. I don't know. I, of course, I want him to go wherever he, he desires and where, you know, it's going to best put him in position to, you know, get to the next level. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, the program is, you know, at, at, at back at the pinnacle and, you know, m- making it March Madness like it was, of course, you know, why not? I would love yeah. to come back and visit him and see him play in Cincinnati. Yeah. But, you know, it's going to be hard for him to turn down, you know, Coach Cronin out if he's still out in L.A. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, I get it. Um, Now, now Gary, last part of, of our conversation, I, I want to talk a little bit more in depth about uh, your NBA career. And, and just in your opinion – Oh, you got drafted in, in 2018 uh, with the Rockets for for two years. Um, wrap up your your Houston Rockets experience. Like how how being that that's your first two years. How was that experience for you being new to the NBA? It was unique because you know again you know I went undrafted, so they took a gamble on me to you know know my ankle issue. You know CP there, knowing PJ was there. You know, and knowing that they had the run that they had the year before, which, you know, had the best record, you know, in NBA history. Or, no, mm-hmm. not their best record in NBA history, but, like, they did something crazy in their stats the year before. So, you know, getting there, you know, again, dealing with the whole ankle, coming off the ankle injury, I was worried I was not going to get better, not be able to perform, and then the whole mellow was there. So oh, it, was, yeah. it was really weird because, you know, guys got hurt in the beginning of the season, so – after, like, right at the beginning of the preseason when we played 
like Memphis. Our first game we played at Memphis, and I got in the game. Well, first of all, before, like, in the first quarter, I think, uh, Coach yells, Eric. But Coach has a really southern voice, so it sounds like good. And But he's saying Eric. So, of course, uh-huh. the young me, like, first quarter, I'm running to the check in the game. And everybody's like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, what? And he said, Ed. I was like, oh, like, and that was like my first NBA moment where I like felt so embarrassed. Like, everybody would not stop laughing. Like, uh-huh. and they were like, at least, at least he was ready. You know? Yeah. Like, so, and that, from that point on, like, when I finally got in the game later on, I ended up getting a crazy block. I ended up hitting like two threes. So, from that point on, like, moving forward, coach relied on me to know that I was at least – at least he was ready. Like, he may not mm-hmm. play well, but at least he's ready for the moment. And uh, so I went on to start playing, getting minutes when guys were getting hurt. And then, you know, the whole mellow situation, people were trying to toy it towards, like, you know, this young guy, Gary Clark, was playing better than Melo. But reality, if you watch the film, we played better together with, you know, necessarily him – me and him being interchangeable at the four and the five. Mm-hmm. We played really well in our second unit. So it wasn't it wasn't because of Gary was playing well. It was I don't know what it was, but that wasn't the case. And mm-hmm. I was getting so much I was getting so much heat on Twitter from like his fans and people were like it was because of Gary Clark, this young guy blossoming and playing well. Yeah, I was playing well but we I was playing well with him on the court. It wasn't because he was on the bench and I was on the court. No, like we were playing well together at the same time. So, so were were Mellow fans going at you on Twitter? Yeah, hey, I had to delete my Twitter. I had to delete my account. <laughs> like it was just it was just getting out of hand. So I started putting all this pressure on myself to like prove these fans that like I deserve to be here. And it was just like reality. Like it put me in a hole where I started playing bad and I fell out of the rotation. And then from then it was just it was bad for that. My whole rookie year it was essentially like me in the bench, me in the G League. Because I put so much pressure on myself trying to prove these freaking fans, you know, that I deserve to be in the league. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, my second year, you know, I, I'd already kind of, in, in, in their words, essentially gave myself an image of, like, Gary was just going to get in the game with two threes. He wasn't going to rebound. He wasn't going to do anything else. Because that's the mark I left on them the season before. So going into this season, I knew I was excited to play. I was ready to go, and then I wasn't playing even preseason games. I wasn't getting in regular season games when they started up, and I was, like, really frustrated. You know, I didn't understand why I wasn't playing, but then I figured out, you know, that's what coach's mindset was that from last season. All I was doing was settling for threes and not mm-hmm. rebounding because early on, when I first started playing, I was making a lot of threes. I was, you know, doing good things like blocking shots, but, like, when shots wasn't falling, I wasn't bringing anything else to the table. Mm-hmm. And as a young guy, I struggled with understanding that. Now I know more about it, but, like, at the beginning, like, I didn't know anything about, you know, what else he wanted me to do. Like, I thought I had to get on the court. So I had to make a shot because he's mm-hmm. shooting three. So if I make a three, I get to play in the game. Right. But right. I learned the different levels of it, and now, you know, I'm in a position now where I understand, you know, I can do other things to – contribute how, how did the g league help you just confidence wise like being able to just you know just work on my game you know being a being a nba like setting still working playing against other you know two-way guys other guys getting sitting down on assignments and stuff like mm-hmm. that it was just 
it was it was pretty it was uh it was good so you, you valued your experience playing in the g league because so, some guys look at it they're in the league they get sent to the g league or go to the g league whatever the case might be and they kind of go in school with kind of sour grapes like man i don't want to be here I had a good friend that played in the G League, and he said that guys would come from the NBA to, the, to his team in the G League, and he says, man, they were just so tough to deal with because they came in with this this attitude. Yeah, no, they, everybody goes there with that attitude. I, I would be lying to you if I told you if I didn't go not want to be here. But, <laughs> right. Because that that lifestyle is, you know, I see these guys, like, skipping co- skipping college and going to the G League, and I'm like, and I, I, I don't know the situation there. I don't know if it's just going to be all, you know, those high school guys that didn't go to college and they're treating them differently out in L.A. Uh-huh. But if it's anything like regular, it's going to be tough. Yeah. You know, that, that mm-hmm. the G League is no easy place to be, you yep. know, as far as just travel, how you eat every day, you know, just the practices, all of that stuff. Like, it's just it's not the same. It's different levels. Like, you'd rather be in college than to deal with the G League. I mean, the mm-hmm. money situation is totally different. You know, of course, these guys are getting 300000 300, you know, to sign with G League teams, which is more money they will make in college. But, you know, after all that's taxed and, you know, living in L.A., like, are you going to be making that much different money? You know, of course you're going to be making different money. In college, you get your room and board paid for. Uh, you know, you spend your money really on what you want. I don't know the number of how much you make in one year in college when you come get your stipends, but – you know, of course, that NBA money is going to be different. But yeah, at the same time, sure. you're going to be living in L.A. You're going to be young with a lot of money. So they're going to be spending it on a bunch of stuff that they probably shouldn't. <laughs> but that G League life, is just, it's, it's, it takes certain character to be there and thrive there and understand what you're supposed to do to get out of there. And, and, and now you being in Orlando – and you've had some time in the NBA. How do you feel about your situation now? Uh, it was it was good. It's good now. Like I, I like it because you know Lando's giving me opportunity. You know, doing my my knee little tweak I had. Like you know, I fill out a rotation, but I know they believe that I can bring something to the to the, the dynamic to the to their team to help them win. Mm-hmm. So you know, just I'm not the young guy anymore because there's a bunch of young guys. So. You know, in Houston, I was like the young guy that kind of like got all the, you know, when things went wrong or when I messed up with another guy, which two of us messed up, I got the short end of it. You know, whether mm-hmm. I, if I was communicating or not, it was my fault. Whereas this team, everybody's kind of held accountable on all ends. Mm-hmm. So it's like less stressful. It's easier to yep. perform. And, 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 and crazy how obviously you guys are on a, a pause right now. Um, you know, with the NBA, and uh, you know, we'll we'll see how all that plays out. Do you foresee a NBA season starting back up, even finishing this year? Uh, it's really up in the air. Like, I think there's like plans of it, but none of us know anything beyond like what the world knows. Like, we know the same reports everybody else is hearing. We're hearing like our teams can't even tell us like if they know more because they don't know more. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just one of those situations that's really up in the air. Like personally, I don't know how it will start. You know, you know, mm-hmm. if, we, if they do a serious quarantine each player, then a serious quarantine each team, and have us all like in certain destinations to just play, I think it could work. Uh-huh. But it's like the cost, the expense on like people was like 
people trying to like plan for this season, but also worry about next season starting late, you know, does it all make sense to like kind of toy with two seasons being altered or do you just alter this season and then focus on the plan for next season starting on time? Mm-hmm. You know, it brings so many different dynamics. I really don't know that I don't get paid to like to, to make those decisions. <laughs> right. you know, I, I know those people are great at what they do, you know, and I know CP kind of gives us a little bit, you know, inside on like financial standpoint. Like, you know, we had a call the other day. He talks about finances and, you know, mm-hmm. how to prepare moving forward. So, you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I, you know, I know each week there's new news. So, I mean, hopefully we hear something by the end of this month as what's going on moving forward. But, you know, we would like to play. But yep. I think it comes to people, you know, make, it, it making sense as far as, like, the time that it's going to be to put into making of this season, like, work to to finish versus how late are we going to play next year if we make this season work. Mm-hmm. Yep. Lot, so many scenarios. It's such a fluid situation. Um, yeah. Let me ask you this last question related to the to the NBA. What has been your biggest struggle, do you think, in the NBA? Uh, um, maybe just the we don't practice like in Houston we didn't practice nearly at all, but in Orlando we practice a little bit more, but it's still like it's still focused on like the team aspect of it, like running through plays. So there's like no time for you to get your cardio in that you need. Mm-hmm. You know, where in college we practice so hard every day, like you're getting your cardio in. Right. Whereas in the NBA, like the guys that are playing heavy minutes, that's their cardio. So James Harden, his cardio is he's going to play 30 minutes, so he don't need to do extra. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, uh, Evan Fournier and you know uh, Aaron Gordon don't have to do extra running. I'm sure they do in some kind of aspect, get extra cardio in, but usually they get it in playing. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to find a, a struggle for me to find a happy spot where it's you know i do do enough to stay in shape but also keep my body fresh so when my opportunity comes to play i'm not all banged up that's what happened with my knees like i was trying to like get extra sprinting on on the treadmill and then a couple days later i got opportunity well it was coming off also i got opportunity the first game back and boom my knees all been out of shape because i try to do extra to try to stay you know get ready for the game after all-star break Mm-hmm. So it's just fine. That's my biggest struggle is to find like what works for me. Whether it's you know riding a bike, or like a peloton bike, uh, is it versa mm-hmm. climber, or is you know of course now I know it ain't the treadmill because my knees you know get all out of bend. <laughs> so you know right. just trying to find that you know that good good regiment where I'm you know staying ready. Yep. All right, now I've got I've got this last part here, Gary, where I asked quick questions. I need quick answers. All right, you ready? I'm ready. All right, quick questions, quick answers with Gary Clark. Number one, Gary, could you see yourself on the Bass Masters Fishing Tournament circuit one day? I know 100%. you like to fish. A hundred percent. I'm going fishing today. I know you love to fish. That's my thing. And, and nobody ever takes it. Like, plan for Gary, have a great career in the NBA, and invest in my own uh, sponsorship and voted like you know have my own line of like bass stuff to where 
I'm sponsoring guys. You know, I have my own bass boat. I do tournaments at 40 years old. I'm doing bass bass tournaments. Wow. Wow. So so are you the guy that watches the fishing shows on, like, ESPN, the fishing tournaments? 100%. Every time they're on, if I'm clicking through and I see it on, I'm watching that over anything else. Uh, so those things come on, and I'm like, somebody's watching us to keep these things on TV. So you're the guy. Yeah, and it don't even have to be like a tournament. It can be just like a fishing guy. Like, there's a lot of shows where it's like, oh, yeah. old, old head taking the people out to fish for <laughs> trout and uh, yellowtail. Like anything, I'm I'm watching it. I'm learning new ways to like get better, new, different lures to use. Like different ways to, you know, be a better fisherman. That's good stuff. Good stuff. <clears throat> All right. Now, my next question, uh, number two, a little, little bit odd, but, but follow me on this because um, I know your, your time in Houston, you, you, you met this guy and you've seen him play basketball. <clears throat> so, Gary Clark, do you think you would have a better chance of of making and being one of the most famous rappers in the world do you think your chance of doing that is better than Travis Scott playing in the NBA? So you're asking me, is it better to? No, no. Can I? You can I be a better rapper if I try to is... be a rapper than him, NBA player? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm. No, I can't rap to save my life. I, I, I can't. He probably got a better chance with all his NBA buddies. Uh, wow. James, I, I can't, I can't rap. Like I, I try, I try, I try when I was a kid. It's just I can't dance. I'm not gonna be able to perform. I don't do good. I don't do good with big crowds. Like that's just not me. Not you, but okay. But his, his shot's so bad, man. I see. It, it is. Shot. It is. That's, that's why it's a far stretch for me saying that. So if I'm doing, I would have like a, I would have like a rapper, like. Rap all, write all my raps down, and then I could be a rapper. Ghost rider. Yeah, I need a ghost rider, and then sign me up. I may be able to do it then. Ah, uh, that's cool. Gotcha. All right, this is a tough one right here, and I, I, I and I'm going to remind you, you're on the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. So when you when you say this answer, just remember what podcast you're on. If UCLA plays UC in the NCAA tournament next year, who are you cheering for? Ooh. Wow. <laughs> I had tough. to ask you this one. Yeah. I had That's to ask tough. you this one. Because I, I know how much – and listen, I've been put in this position before because I played for Coach Huggins. Love Coach Huggins. He's done so much for me. He goes to West Virginia, and people are like, what are you going to do when UC plays West Virginia? Like, I've, I've been in that. I've been asked that. So, I'm posing that to you, bro. Um. That's tough. That's, that's freaking tough. Um, let me think. See, the thing is, I probably would go with Coach Cronin just because, like, I just know how how those guys, how tough, like, those guys that are there now and we have now two years with Coach. Mm-hmm. You know, that is their second year. And the way they were playing before this whole thing started happening, Mm-hmm. Like I, uh, I don't know though, because Trey. If you're talking about this this team they have right now, like but these teams just, back up. Just moving, just moving forward. The question, uh, I think Trey more or uh, uh, Gary more more so is not with Trey, 
and those guys you know playing right now, just moving forward with Bearcat basketball versus Bruins basketball, being you played for the Bearcats, Mick was your coach. And I know it's a tough question because I've been there before, and I'm like, damn, like, I love Hugs. It's hard to cheer against Hugs, but it's my school. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, tough question, right? Yeah, that's tough right there. That's really tough. But I'm probably towards Coach, Coach Cronin. Okay. All right. I'll let you slide on that one. All right. So right now, today, if you were to play one-on-one with Chris Paul, who wins? Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell CP the answer, too. Uh, I would for sure win. <laughs> Without a doubt. I don't know care how, what he say. You know how competitive it, he is, too. He's going to kick you in the knee. Oh, yeah, for sure. But <laughs> I'm going to put him right in the black. <laughs> You're going to have to guard his baby hook every possession. <laughs> You're going to put him we, down low. You're going to put him in the yeah. bucket down low. Yep. Yeah, we, pl- we played one-on-one when I was coming back off of my uh, – ankle injury when he said shut me down they had had him play me one-on-one uh when he was in the bahamas and he said that he was letting me get my confidence up because i beat him one-on-one so he was like they told me to get you confident <laughs> uh, i was yeah, like all right but to this day i don't believe it but then again like it might be true because you know we were playing one-on-one but i still think you know, I don't believe it. He's too competitive for that. Yeah, he for sure. He, I've I've we've done shooting games and I've I've had to witness that, you know, that in, his intense mm-hmm. desire to win. Uh good old good old C P which which leads me to say this too. Um, I wanna thank you and for the Bearcat fans that don't know, uh you did a favor for me <clears throat> twice, but for the first one, uh there's a kid locally here in Cincinnati, Nate Watson, who was uh, battling cancer, and he uh, developed cancer right as the high school basketball season was starting, and um, I didn't know the kid at all. I had heard his story and heard, like, he might die, like he might not be able to play the season. He was the best player going into – he played at Batavia High School. I reached out to the kid. We started talking. And he was just talking about he's a big Bearcat fan. He loves CP. And I'm like, well, let me reach out to Gary and CP and see if they would, you know, sign a shoe up for him. And um, you guys did that. You were you were great. You were my you were my point guy on that man. You you got I got the shoe to you. You got it signed. Got CP to sign it. Sent it back. And I'm telling you, man, I, it, uh, not a not a month goes by that he doesn't text me a picture of that shoe. It's still sitting in his room, and he always says, "Still got it sitting right here, man." So I really appreciate that, man. I meant a lot to that kid. Oh, of course, man. No problem. I know, you know, moments like that they don't come around too often for you be able to impact to someone's lives, especially someone that's you know battling what they were battling and, and mm-hmm. not let not having the opportunity one to be in my position but let alone be healthy enough to, you know, at least do what he loves. For sure. And and the crazy thing about it is when when he was diagnosed with it and what he had to go through after going to chemotherapy every other week and, you know, the doctors were telling him, like, listen, you most likely will not be able to play basketball again. There's a very good chance you won't be living by the end of the year. So they have to, they have to tell him that. 
so he understands the reality of his situation. But yet, there were so many positive vibes that were coming his way, man. So many family members that were, you know, making him feel good when you signed the shoe and CP and all this. Man, he fought through that thing, and the doctors were like, we have no yeah. idea how this dude is getting through all this stuff. And it, I think it had a lot to do with, man, his just feeling feeling great about things, and you were a big part of that. So uh, thank you, and I know Nate always wants me to tell you thank you, man. So appreciate that. And then the second one, G, is when I reached out to you. Uh, my brother and family all live in Gainesville, Florida, and it was my uh, nephew's size birthday, and he wanted to go to a Magic game and um, went to a game and – you uh, met up with them after the, the game, man, and, and hung out. Man, I really, really appreciate that a lot. Of course. Yeah, no, nah, anytime, bro. Like, I I know, again, it's kind of on the same end as, you know, just impacting people's lives. Because I know mm-hmm. certain things I was I wish I was able to, to experience as a kid. You know, I think CP, you know, has a big part of that for me is, just, you know, how much he tries to impact other people's lives knowing that, you know, he has his platform. Yep. You know, and, and, and it's not always for recognition. It's just, you know, you can look back. I can look back and know, like, you know, I did that for him, and it made him – that I, I helped him with that experience. You know, whether right. you're your, your nephews or, you know, the young man, Nate, that Nate. was going through what he was going through. You know, 20 years, he's going to be able to tell his kids, you know, Gary Clark did this. Or, right. Know, out of all the haters we deal with in our profession, you know, we have – uh, we probably can touch at least 10 people who are going to touch 10 more people to understand, like, okay, whatever those people are saying on that broadcast or whatever they say on TV, that doesn't mean anything because that guy has a good, genuine heart. And has, yep. You know, he's done gestures for people that they aren't speaking about on TV. Yep. No, for sure. And, and uh, you are 100% correct with that. And then also on top of that, you know, you look at you impacting the kid, Nate Watson, and then also, you know, my nephew and my nephew even said, like, he was so impressed. My brother was so impressed that you met with them, not even knowing them. I wasn't there. It was kind of like a random, like, you know, moment. And but but the thing is, like, my nephew, Cy, and they, they'll now do that for the next person when they have right. the platform. And that's that's the that's the thing about it, man, I, that I really appreciate. You, you've now impacted just two people in my circle that will now do that and, and do that for that next person. So powerful stuff, man. And you will, you always will be, um, you know, a Bearcat legend. Um, and I, I said this to, to start the conversation and I'll say this to end it. And that is if UC was playing a game right now and you walked in that arena and it was a packed house, man, that place would be on their feet going crazy for you. If you walked in there, you know that, right? Yeah, I would hope so. I mean, <laughs> I gave him my whole left left angle for a couple of years. You sure did, and and not a lot of them know that. Like they don't know what you guys go. That's like you weren't here for this, Gary. But um, one of the most bizarre, I think, careers I've ever seen is Jaron Cumberland's. Like I, I've never seen in my basketball life a career at UC like that just so many ups and downs high expectations this this final year was 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 bizarre at times but one thing i will say about jaron and a lot of fans didn't understand and knows man he was man that dude was gutting it out to be on that court every game 
he was battling through different injuries and things. And people were criticizing him. And I'm like, they don't know how much time this dude's spending just to get on the damn court and get a victory for the right. Bearcats. Right? Yeah, nobody nobody understands truly the things that we, we go through. You know, you know, you talk about a guy that uh struggled when Coach Cronin was even there and again, you know, I talk about mm-hmm. nonstop how much anxiety guys have playing for coach. So, you know, for him to leave and now your senior year, you think, Okay, I'm not gonna have as much success now because, you know, Coach Cronin's gone and Coach and that's Coach Cronin's way of, you know, having guys execute is having them on their toes and, you know, like prepare the best way you can. So that's and again that's you no know, to all the Bearcats. That's we we love that about mm-hmm. Coach Cronin. Like that that defies who I am, who SK was, who was, you know, who Justin Jackson was, you know, the the, mm-hmm. the, the mean face, like all the stuff that we he would make us so angry that we want to just destroy the other team or you know right. whatever we had to do to like take our frustration out on the court to be like the baddest you know, baddest men on that on, on the Bearcats team. That's why, we, like, I, I prided myself on that part, and I give that testament to Coach Cronin. Mm-hmm. So for Jan to deal with all of that, who Jan, again, didn't do what – like, he, he played well when Coach was on him, but it, it wasn't necessarily the, the the best environment for someone like Jan. So for him to get – for that to leave and to know, like, okay, I'm going to stay even though I have a great chance of going back to uh, – I have a great chance of going to the league I go back to school because, you know, I'm sure life might seem like a little better now because, you know, Coach Crone is not there mm-hmm. to, like, deal with the stress from Coach. But mm-hmm. then to go back and now you're you're battling with this guy who you're like, dang, I probably should have left and, you know, stayed in the draft and dealt with whatever came with it. Mm-hmm. And I really, you know, that's why I was really always there for him and, you know, always had my line open so for when he called and reached out to me that I made sure that I was available for him. Right. For him. Yep. <clears throat> no, that's, that's good stuff, man. That's really good stuff, man. Well, listen, Gary, man, as always, I appreciate your appreciate your time coming on the podcast. Um, Bearcat fans are definitely excited to hear this interview. Um, they're definitely going to be pleased, man. Just all the great stories you have in, in your journey. Um, you always get Bearcat. Um, hopefully, we can get you back to a game. Um, if you know, whenever this all this stuff ends, and we can get back to college sports, pro sports. Hopefully, we can get you back to a Bearcat game, man, and get that get that uh, that standing ovation you deserve, man. Oh yeah, man. I hope so. I can't wait. You know, I, I know I'm just gonna try. You know, next season during All Star break, see if I can uh, line up a game to get back to. Okay, so February, right? February. Yep. Yeah, yep. that'd be great, man. That'd be great. Well, I also advise, man, uh, definitely got to get you uh, in touch with Coach Brandon. Uh, he's a great dude, man. I, you'll love him, man. Really good okay. dude. Yeah. Nah, that's we can do that for sure. I yeah, love I'll that. Make, I will. Uh, I'll text you his information and all that, and I'll reach out to him and tell him I spoke to you. So, great dude, man. And he would really embrace you coming back and you know, being a part of things for sure. And it's always great, man. You always want to have, you know how it is in life, man. You just want to have as many pockets of families all over, you know, got right. your Bearcat family, right? You know, and, sure. and mix, mix now UCLA. you got a UCLA family now. You've got yep. all kind of pockets. You can go anywhere and, 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 and have some love. So that's, 
how it is, brother. Well, hey, man, I appreciate it. Appreciate your time, man. I'll let you roll. And uh, we'll definitely be in touch very soon. Cool? Okay. Yeah, I appreciate you, Nish. All right, Gary. Talk to you soon, man. Right. Thank you. All right. No problem. All right. I want to thank everybody for listening to our special episode, our interview series of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. And once again, you can follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. Also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. On Snapchat, at Big Meach 41 And soon to be on TikTok. I appreciate everybody listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bearcats.